substitute this morning. Our pastor is out this week. He was out on vacation. He got to go do some camping and some fishing and some other things. And then I know he's going to be headed off to the IFCA, I believe it is, regional um, out in Albuquerque this next week. So next week you're going to get Mark, another one of the elders here. My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, There's me, Mark in the back there. There's Brian, who his wife is sitting right here, Amber, but he works at Rifle Gap State Park, so he's out there this morning. And then, of course, there's Pastor Jed. And so this morning, it was my turn. Um, I drew the short straw. And so I get to be the one who gets to talk to you today about God's Word. And what God had put on my heart is something that I struggle with greatly. Um, My wife would tell you this. Um, I have a bottle of melatonin, the chewy gummies. They taste really good. Now they're actually kind of like an addiction because there's like candy before I go to bed to take them um, because they taste good to help me fall asleep at night sometimes because I worry about stuff. How many of you worry about stuff? Right? Yeah. Yeah. We worry about stuff. I don't know why. How many of you remember the old song? by Bobby McFerrin, where he pounded on his chest and he did everything, right? It was called Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? And he sang this song and it just says, don't worry, be happy now, right? And it's like, oh, I wish it were that simple. He doesn't tell you how to not worry and how to be happy. He just tells you not to. The great thing about our God in the Bible is, is he talks about worry a lot. It's in there a lot. When I was doing my study for this sermon, I mean, you can see all these little spots I got marked in my Bible, and that's just a few, right? He talks about it a lot. But there was a great parody song that was made about Don't Worry, Be Happy, and I want us to bring that song up real quick. We're just going to listen to the beginning of it. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's a song I just rewrote Might want to sing it note for note Do worry Life's crappy In my time life is full of trouble No future here, just a pile of rubble Do worry Life's crappy Do worry Life's crappy now So the song goes on and on and on, and it's called Do Worry, Life's Crappy. And in my preparation for this, I decided I would take my hand at songwriting and write my own verse to this song. So I'm going to sing to you, sort of, um, my own verse to this song. It says, I got high alkaline phosphatase. It's got to be cancer. Google told me so. Do worry. Life's crappy. Do worry, life's crappy now. I got two kids going to college. How am I going to pay for this? Do worry, life's crappy. Do worry, life's crappy now. So you have a pen and a paper 
kind of an envelope in there in front of you. Grab that out. I, I actually want you to write on these envelopes. We'll replace them. Grab that envelope out and that pen out. And I want, I'm going to give you not a lot of time. That took me like five seconds to come up with. I'm sure you can all think of your worries. I want you to be a songwriter. Write your verse. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds. It's going to be awkward silence in here. Write your own verse of do worry, life's crappy. Because we're going to come back to that at the end. Okay? I think I'm ringing the stuff around, aren't I, <laughs> Mark? But so you have a couple seconds. Go ahead. Alright, I know you're probably still, some of you might still be writing. Anybody want to share what they wrote? You don't have to sing it. Edie. There you go! Nice! That was awesome! You just joined the worship team. Anybody else? Now she's got something else to worry about, right? Who else? Anybody else? Share Go ahead, let's share. Go ahead, Rhonda. Inflation's rising, there's no end in sight. Rush is coming, time is ending, the world's not listening. Life is crappy. There you go! Awesome! What else? Anybody else? You don't have to. Kim, share. My knees hurt and my back aches. Getting old is not so great. I worry. Life's crappy. There we go, right? Is anybody else? I don't want to. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. If anybody else wants to share, I'll sing Gabby's. Okay, sing Gabby's. <laughs> Med school sucks. My brain is fried. I hope the patient doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. Isn't it great that we can laugh about these things, right? But. It's not great that we worry so much. What is worry? It says, giving way to anxiety or unease allows one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. It's a state of anxiety and, and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. The word that's used in the Bible most of the time in the New Testament, it's used 19 times in 17 verses. And I might not say this right, but it's like, Mary, Mary Mano. I think I said it right. Mary Mano, or something like that. Okay? That is used, and the English translation is worry, anxious, or care. It's also used one time where it seems a little out of context in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul is talking about getting married. And he talks about don't get married so that you don't have to divide your mind to the things of the world. It's better not to get married if you can control yourself. And he uses that word. The, the Mariamno, and it literally means to divide the mind. When we worry, we are dividing our mind between what is real and what isn't real, what God has for us and what he doesn't have for us, and we become double-minded people. Pew Research says 
that teens see worry and anxiety as the number one problem they're facing. How many teenagers out there agree with that? Worry and anxiety is the number one thing you face. I see some hands going up. Okay? Number one thing they face. Psychologist Robert Lee said that the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. That explains a lot. I always knew my teenage daughters needed to be in straitjackets. I knew it! And it's been confirmed. Because they're just average teenagers. And they have so much anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25. It says, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Literally, this passage is translated in another version of the Bible as, um, worry makes a person depressed. When we worry, we become depressed. It brings on depression in our lives. 49 out of 50 states have seen an increase in suicide rates over the past 20 years. 43% of adults suffer from mental health effects of worry and anxiety. So that's about half of you sitting in here are suffering from this at least. Anxiety disorders have jumped more than 12,000% in the last 30 years. Um, I don't know if this one's true. Gabby or Dr. Coleman could tell me this, but this is what I found. You know, Google doesn't lie, right? It says, more than 75% of primary care visits are related to stress and stress disorders going to the doctor. It says, 8% of what people worry about is actually real. That means 92% of it will never happen. We worry much about nothing. Um, how many of you, you may have heard this before, but there was a man who came to work every day. And every day he came to work and he drug his feet and had his head down. And he's like, oh boy, oh boy, what's going to happen today? I think I'm that guy sometimes when I go to work. I think people could see it on my face. Oh my goodness, what's going to get hacked today? What network's going to go down? What kid's going to do this? What teacher's going to email me this? What is going to happen today, right? And I'm worried, 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 worried. But then one day he comes in singing Bobby McFerrin, right? He's like, do, 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 happy, yeah, yeah. And the, and the co-workers are like, man, what happened to you? And he's like, I decided not to worry anymore. And they're like, what? How did you do that? And he goes, well, I took out an ad. In um, whatever it is, LinkedIn now, asking for a worrier, someone to worry for me. And I found somebody. And they go, really? And they're like, how much do you have to pay someone to do that? And he goes, oh, about $5,000 a week. Do, 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 do. And the guy goes, you don't make that much money a week. Aren't you worried about that? Nah, that's for him to worry about. <laughs> right? <laughs> because he's cast his worries onto this guy for $5,000. Well, guess what? There's someone we're supposed to cast our worries upon. And he paid a lot more than $5,000 for it. He gave up his life on a cross for us. And his name is Jesus. We are to give our worries to Jesus Christ. And you say, what? This sounds way too simplistic. And you're right, it is simplistic, but it's not simple. Jesus doesn't make anything difficult. 
but it doesn't mean it's not difficult for us to do it. We're going to take a look at Matthew 11, and we're going to jump, and hopefully I got these in the right order. Oop, just ripped my Bible. Matthew 11, and we're going to start in verse 25. We're going to read through verse 30 on this one. So the title in my Bible is Jesus' Prayer of Thanksgiving. It says, At the time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleases you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So, this verse, I want to unpack it just a little bit, real quickly. It says, then Jesus said, so why did he say that? Well, if you look at the prayer he had just prayed, he said that the Father has entrusted everything to him. Everything. That means you and me. We've been entrusted to Jesus Christ. The world that we live in has been entrusted to Jesus Christ. Everything has been entrusted to him. So what should we do? We should come to him who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. And then he goes on in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. That means we have something to learn, right? Yeah, we're just supposed to cast our burdens on him. But we have something worse to learn when we do that. From him. And what is that that we are supposed to learn from Jesus as we do that? So we're going to pick up and we're just going to jump over here to 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And Jed said that this would come back um, a couple weeks ago when he was finishing up his 1 Peter. It says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift up, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to him, for he cares about you. So the first thing that I see when we start looking at this, it says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. The first thing we have to do to stop worrying is humble ourselves, right? We have to go, I am not in control. I am not in control of my own life. Everybody wants to walk around. I'm in control of my life. I can do whatever I want. It's me, it's me, it's me. Well, guess what? As a Christian, that's not true. It is not your life. It is his life. He paid for it with a price. And we are his now. He owns you. You are his. You have to humble yourself. And understand that God is the one who is in control. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. When we need it the most, he's going to reach down and pick us up. He's not going to let you down. 
You may be struggling with certain things. You may be worried about all kinds of things. And you're like, but God, where are you? Why haven't you taken this worry away yet? Well, maybe it's not the right time yet. Maybe you haven't humbled yourself enough, first of all, and actually given it to him so that he can take it. Okay? Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. First and foremost, we saw all the hands go up. We heard the verses that people wrote. You are not alone in your worrying. If we take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The Greek word for temptation is also translated in many passages as testing. So if you look at this and we remove temptation and we put in testing, it says the testings in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the testing to be more than you can stand. When you are tested, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We are not to live life alone as Christians. There are far too many Christians who want to be solo Christians. They say, no, I don't need other people. That just seems to be an American thing, especially Western America, where we're like, no, nope, we're independent. We don't need anybody. Me and Kristen started watching this thing called um, Life Below Zero. And it has these people who live out in Alaska, and they, and they do, um, forget how they say it, it's subsistence living. And so they don't buy anything from a store, nothing. They make their own axes and tools and stuff, at least the one guy does, who lives up in the mountains, the brook range of Alaska. He makes everything himself, and he just lives up there. And he says, I do this because I don't need anybody. That's why I love it. I can do everything on my own. And that's what he says. The Bible says, no, we need each other. We are not alone. We need to talk to each other. We need to pray for each other. And we need to share each other's burdens. When you're going through a difficult time, the first inclination that people have is to go hide in their house, to go hide in their sorrows, to go hide away from others. I'm embarrassed to tell other people about what I'm worried about. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be about. We are supposed to be there for each other. We are to share with each other. We are to talk to each other. And we are to give those burdens to God, as verse 7 says. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And when it says this, it doesn't mean like to throw them, to cast when it says to cast all your worries in another version, that word doesn't mean to throw. But it means to be, by your own will, let God assume the responsibility for caring for it. Actually giving it to him, like the man who said, that's for that guy to worry about if I'm going to pay him the $5,000 a week or not to worry for me. Right? It's no longer my problem. It's his. It's truly giving that. And you know what? It's easier to do when we understand that God is mindful of you. He is thinking about you. If we look at Luke 12:32, it says, 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And from this small little verse, we can see three things. We can first see that God, he is our shepherd. We are his little flock. A shepherd protects his sheep. The second thing we can see is that he is our father. And as we talked last week at Father's Day, a father likes to have good plans for his children, right? He wants his children, a good father wants his children to be successful. He wants to help them. He wants to be there for them. And if we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, this is what it says. It says, for I, that's God, know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And David writes in Psalm 139, 17 through 18, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Did you catch that? God thinks about you, the individual you. He thinks about me more than the grains of the sand on the earth. Let that sink in, how much God thinks about you. You know, people say, I worry about what people think about me. And, it, and there's an old saying that says, you wouldn't worry so much if you knew how little people thought about you. Right? Well, I say, you wouldn't worry so much about what people think about you if you knew how much God thought about you. Right? He's thinking about you. And it says, how precious are your thoughts about me. He's constantly thinking about you. He's constantly caring for you. The third thing we see is that he is king. He is sovereign and he is in control. Romans 8.28, we see, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For them. Everything works together for the good. It doesn't mean everything's good, right? It's not good when you wreck your car. It's not good when the doctor tells you you have cancer. It's not good when you lose a child. It doesn't say that those things are good, but it says that they will be worked together for the good of those who are called according to the purpose for them. When we understand that God is with us, we can begin to to look at what we don't understand differently. When we don't understand something, we don't understand why. Why is this in my life? Why am I worried about this? Why is this happening to me? What we need to do is we need to fall back on the things that we do understand. And there are three things that we as Christians should understand about God. If you're not a Christian, you don't understand these things about God. And frankly, this message doesn't apply to you very much because you should be very worried about your life. You should be extremely worried about your death and what's going to happen to you if you don't know Jesus Christ. But if you are a Christian, 
There are three things that you should be able to understand about God that should be able to help you when you are in times of anxiety and worry. First and foremost, it is, He was there in our past. He's been there in our past. He is here in the present, and He has our future already written. I was lucky enough, he's not here this morning, to talk to Todd this week um, in the office about this sermon. And he mentioned some author who had written something um, that he was reading, and I don't remember the name of the author, and he pulled it up on his phone and, and showed it to me. So I can't, I can't give it as an exact quote, but it went something like this. You're putting, what you, what you are worried about is what you are putting your faith in. What you are worried about is what you are putting your faith in. You have more faith in it than anything else. And I want to go back to a story with my parents. When I, you guys, most people who come here know that I like to off-road and I like to drive on shelf roads. And that wasn't always the case for me. When I was a little guy, I was scared to death of them. My parents owned an old Bronco II, one of those little Broncos. And we'd go out to go four-wheeling around Telluride, where my father's from. And we would do this road, which now today I think of it as absolutely nothing, um, that was called Overpass. And Overpass is this sort of four-wheel drive road. I've seen a Subaru go over it now, so they've kind of made it into a super highway. But you drive up, and it gets on this talus slope on this cliff, the shelf road, and there's this old pickup truck at the bottom of it. I mean, you look over and you're like, oh my gosh, someone fell off of this and died, right? And I would get in the back, the way back where the luggage was. And my mother always had a blanket in there. I don't know if it was for a picnic or what it was for, but there was a blanket in there. And I would cover my head with the blanket and I would cry un controllably because I was so worried we were going to fall off the cliff and guess what dad I trusted gravity more than I trusted your driving (laughs) I just did gravity had proved itself trustworthy to this seven eight year old boy my feet stayed on the ground when I dropped the ball it fell to the ground when something went up it came back down gravity was real My dad's driving, I wasn't so sure about. Now I can drive over that with no problem because I trust my own driving. Right? (laughs) And so what we put our trust in is shown by what we worry about. When you worry about money, your trust is in money. Oh, if I lose all my money, what am I going to do? What's your faith in? Your money. Right? I mean, it just, that conversation blew my mind. When I start to worry about something, I'm taking my trust away from God. How do I know God is trustworthy? So let's go back to these three things. There's many people in the Bible that can show these three things. He was there in our past, he is there in the present, and he already has our future written. One guy that comes to mind is Daniel. You remember Daniel got thrown into a lion's den, right? And he wasn't worried. He was like, God's got me. I'm good. Throw me in there. Guess who stayed up all night and didn't sleep? The king who threw him in there. That's what the Bible says. 
The king who threw him in, King Darius, is the one who stayed up all night. He was the one who was worried about what was going to happen. Daniel wakes up and goes, man, I had a good night's sleep. How about you, king? Well, he's petting the little lions, right? He exemplified this. Joshua, when he fought the battle of Jericho, exemplified these things. But the person I want to look at in a little more depth is David when he faced Goliath. And we find David's story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let me get myself there. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And at the beginning of this chapter, the army of Israel was on one side of the valley of Elah, and the army of the Philistines was on the other side. The army of the Philistines had a great champion. His name was Goliath. Goliath was a mountain of a man. He stood just north of nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was clothed with scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder with a shaft that was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And here's what he would say to the army of Israel. Goliath stood and shouted and taunted to the Israelites. This is verse 8. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And what is the army's response? What is King Saul's response? It says right there in verse 11. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply Shaken. They were worried. They were a little bit anxious. And this went on for 40 days. He would come out and do this. And they would shake and quiver and be scared. And this happened for 40 days until a boy named David went to take some food to his brothers. So we're going to pick the story back up in chapter in verse 22 of chapter 17, it says, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shouting his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So they're still scared. They're running away. So David asks some of the soldiers, what can a man get for killing the Philistine and why they allow him to defy the army of the living God? Saul then hears of David's question and calls him to come. And we pick it back up in verse 32. This is David. David says, don't worry about that, this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. And Saul says, Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Why can David have so much confidence that he can step in front of King Saul and say, Don't worry. That's what he said. Don't worry about a nine-foot-tall man who has a 125-pound vest on So this guy wasn't just nine foot tall and skinny like Manute Bowl. This guy was big, right? 
he was like, what is it, Chris Hensworth, but nine foot tall, right? This was Thor, man, himself, but just a little bit bigger, okay? And David goes, okay, but David persists in verse 34. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do this to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He knows what God has done in his past. That's why he can trust God right now. Facing a nine foot tall giant, he goes, God did this, I can do that. I trust him. What has God done in your past? What has he brought you through or over or out of in your past? When you begin to worry, think of those things. Think of his faithfulness that he has for you. I can think of when our girls were babies. And I was a first-year teacher, and, or a couple years into my teaching when we finally had faith. And Krista was staying home, and we did not have a lot of cash. And there were a few times where we're like, um, how are we going to buy diapers or food? Because we don't have the money for both. And a gift card would show up in our mailbox. We still don't know to this day. We have ideas, but we still don't know to this day. Who would send those gift cards? Whether that gift card was to a restaurant so we could go out to eat, or it was to Walmart so we could buy diapers. It was always the right thing. So anytime I start to worry about something that is monetarily that comes into my life, all I should do is first think back to what God did for me then. Will he not do the same thing now? And it goes on and it says, continuing on, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give, give the, body, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with sword and spear. 
This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. David declared our second truth. That God was with him right now. The Bible says that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The third person of the Trinity. God is with you everywhere you go. Everywhere. Every step you take, He is there. And we can trust Him. And we can have confidence in today because He is with us. And that's what David was telling Goliath. God's with me. I'm not worried about you. You can be as big as you want, and I can just have this little stick and a stone. I don't really care. God's with me. He had to tell Saul, this is what God did in my past. That's why I have confidence that you shouldn't worry. And then he told the Philistine giant, but God's with me right now. So I'm not scared of you. Leave me alone. And then we know the rest of the story, right? 48 through 51. Goliath moved. David attacked him with his sling. He slew the giant, cut off his head, and took it back to Saul. David knew who God was. And he also knows that God had his future in his hands. Let's take a look at Isaiah 41.10. It says... Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God had the victory already won. He was the one who had won it. Therefore, why would he worry? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says... All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. God has already prepared a place for us. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, where you will be also. The end of your story is already written. Why are you worried about the middle pages? You know the end. It's heaven. We can trust our God. He's been there for us already. He's with us now. And He's already got our future written. I think Jesus sums this up really well in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. It says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't paint, plant, sorry, or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little 
faith. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I've heard people say that this tells us that we shouldn't save money in the bank. We shouldn't plan for retirement. We, uh, I mean, forget that Dave Ramsey guy who says you should have envelopes where you put stuff in so that if your car breaks down, you don't have to worry about it and use a credit card. You can just pay cash. Right? There are people who say that. I don't believe that that's what this is talking about. I don't think Jesus is telling you, oh, don't, don't, don't do your part. Don't work hard. I think the Bible tells us to work hard. I think the Bible tells us to save. But what it's saying is that if you are focused on seeking the kingdom of God, what he has for you, you don't have time to worry about these things. I look at our world, and I hear people say all the time, I don't know, especially young people like my daughters, I don't know what God's purpose is for me. I don't know what He's going to have me do in the future. You know what? I do. I know what your purpose is. I know what everybody's purpose is in here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Your purpose is to glorify Him and go tell others about Him. Period. Digging a ditch, working on a computer, drawing a cartoon, it doesn't matter what you're making money on. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God and to tell others about Him. We spend so much energy focusing away from the purpose that God has for us. And if we focus on the purpose he has for us, to grow a deeper relationship with him and then to tell others about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to tell them who he is and what he has done for you, you won't be having time to worry about what your pants look like, whether or not you're going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a filet mignon steak that night. You're busy doing God's business. You're busy seeking his kingdom first. And you're busy doing what he told his disciples to do when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? We have a job to do. Let's do our job and let God worry about the rest of it. And we can do that because he's faithful in our past. He's with us right now. And our future is already written, church. Please close your eyes and bow. Father God, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you want to carry all of our burdens. But Father, today, I first want to pray that if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't have peace because they don't have a relationship with you through Jesus, that today would be the day that they can come into that relationship, that they can say, oh God, I know that I've made mistakes in my life and I'm a sinner. And I know that I need you to forgive me of those sins. 
I need you to cleanse me. I need you to come in. I need you to make me new. Renew my mind. Bring me peace so that I can have that relationship. I pray that if there's anybody here today, that today will be the day that they will reach out to you for salvation. And Father God, for those of us who are children, who are children of yours, I pray that you would help us to rest in the truth of you and to trust you and to understand that you are faithful and to stop trusting ourselves or in other things around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting.